Good morning, workshop folks. Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. It's May 12th, 2022, and this is episode 110 of the workshop podcast. I hope everyone is doing fine this early, <laughs> very early Thursday morning. It's a really good day. I had to change things around. You guys know every so often, family and work, I always make sure you guys get three episodes a week, pretty much on the same day, but occasionally I need to move things around ahead of time, try to give you lots of warning. So here we are. Now, who do we have? Man, we got a good crowd already. I've seen uh, Nate's in here. Good morning. Corey's in here. We got Carrie Brown. How are you, bud? Hope your head's feeling better. <laughs> and we got Aaron. So let's get the announcements out of the way, guys. Number one, join the Telegram group. We hit a really cool milestone last night. We hit 100 users. And what I love about that is that is where our community hangs out. If you want somewhere to chat, if you want somewhere to, you know, throw out a business idea, just whatever you need to bounce an idea off somebody, that is the place to go. So join the Telegram group. Link is in the description below. Number two, uh, I don't mention these guys as often as I probably should, but they're a great support over on Float. If you guys don't use Float, run by there and check it out, but uh, Studio8424 or their website Radio8424.com has been a big supporter of the workshop ever since we started streaming on Float. They restream our stuff. I believe this morning it's the same time they're going to uh, restream it live for us, but they have basically an ongoing radio station. Looks like Float is starting to get out of those growing pains after the major upgrade update that they did, so I'm excited about that because Totally going to be patient, totally going to stick with them, but it has been um, slightly frustrating just getting through all these little bugs. But we're here, nowhere near as bad as it was Jan uh, December 2020. That was bad. So we're, we're doing good. I, and I love Float. So goodbye, check them out. But I just wanted to shout out Radio8424.com. So, uh, and the big announcement, you guys already know about this, but... Let's get together workshop community uh, tomorrow, 12 noon Mountain Time. We've got Chris, Chris Weatherman coming on, better known as Angry American. He is, of course, the author of the Going Home or the Survivalist series, depending on where you read the title. I am rather excited. Just got final confirmation this morning that he'll be in studio a little ahead of time so we can chat. But please do your best, if you can, to post this on social media because I think this is going to be really big for the workshop. This is a huge get for us, and I am excited. I, I reached out. You just never know, right? You never know until you try. And uh, so, yeah, just excited. So get it out there, guys, if you don't mind. Like I said, I'm going to be on the road tomorrow, so I'm going to be doing this interview from my hotel. Totally fine. I'm excited about it. I've got a lot of questions. If you have more, there's also the Telegram group for the Going Home book series where we're doing a book club which is going to be great. And uh, just as we're chatting, I just see Studio 8424. They're obviously listening today because they just came by and joined the Telegram group. So it's good to have you. I love this. Now, tool of the day. Today's tool. I can't go more than a month without mentioning this thing, but the Milwaukee Fastback Utility Knife is by far. Now, you guys know I'm a yellow and black supporter. I love DeWalt. But the absolute best utility knife bar none that I have found at this point is the flip out Milwaukee fastback utility knife. So if you're looking for a go-to rather cheap too, but just absolutely lasts and lasts and lasts, I would still have my first one if I hadn't lost it. 
Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but the best way to, you know, find a replacement or find the old one is to buy a replacement, right? Anyway, so today's tool, the link is in the description below. If you're looking to check it out, you can click on it, it goes to Amazon. And yeah, that's it for today for today's tool, guys. I posted that across social as well if you're looking to check it out. And yeah, I uh, just got to give an extra special shout out to Nate here. He said, glad you got in touch with uh, A American because uh, honestly, Nate was the one that messaged me a couple days in my vacation. He's like, hey, he's live. Of course, I missed it because I, I was, I might have, I don't know if I was live at the time or not. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so he, he got the ball rolling and I just kept it going. So another great member of the community. So thanks, Nate. So today we are going to talk about 10 rules of repairedness. Now you're probably saying, what the hell is 10 rules of, well, you probably know now because you hear me talk about repairedness all the time, but this doesn't mean these are the only 10 rules of repairedness. This just means that these are uh, 10 that I'm going to cover today for starters. And what they are, are mantras that I've lived by. So you're probably going to, you know, throughout the whole show, you'd be like, oh yeah, I've heard Tim mention this before. And I, I thought it was time to start putting them together. I, for whatever reason, I have, for the last few years, tried to condense down the different rules that I live by. And I discovered that a lot of them had to do with home maintenance, fixing things, getting by on a little bit, and downright repairedness. So I started making a list, and I figured today I would give you 10 of them. So we're going to work our way through. You guys have questions. You have your suggestions for uh, rules of repairedness that you uh, love to use or live by. Throw them up there in the comments. All right, so the first one, guys, is preparedness is prevention, and prevention is preparedness. I was going to split them up into two, but really, it's just the same thing backwards, and yeah, you know how it is. So what do I mean by that? Well, it's pretty simple, but again, prevention is the least sexy thing you can do in prepping or preparedness. Absolutely. Hey, Ted McDonald, I see you. He's throwing me some Florida sunshine. I most definitely miss the Florida sunshine. And we got a good Florida boy coming on tomorrow. The author there, uh, Angry American, is from just outside the Ocala National Forest. So, prevention. It is unsexy, but it can save you a hell of a lot of frustration. So, this spring, well, late winter on a warm day, I decided it was time to change the belts on my snowblower. I've been running it for two years and the belt that I have is not easily accessible without taking parts off. But I knew I had a few days of good weather. I ordered some belts ahead of time and I started tearing it apart, watched some YouTube videos, made sure I knew what I was doing. And guess what? When I opened that up inside, I found a belt that was probably 95% worn through. Hey, Martinson family, good to have you. So it was literally, all that was holding it was basically the outside casing of the belt. Everything else had cracked apart, you know, probably within days, who knows, right? But probably within, before the season was over, I would have completely wrecked it. So it was worth taking the time, doing some prevention, because I probably, uh, you know, made sure that I prevented some real catastrophic or more so just something that really pissed me off. <laughs> so taking the day in the garage, nice warm day. Well, I say that, you know, warm for Canadian standards, laying down, changing out that belt, because all I can picture is me over blowing through a great big snowbank, and all of a sudden the belt shredding. And there I am stuck with an auger full of snow, with no power, in a storm, with customers counting on me, and all of a sudden, huh, no belt. So prevention, absolutely. 
And what's great is, well, okay, the thing about prevention, though, and, and this is, like I said, it's why it's not real sexy, is because there's no urgency to it, right? Okay, so if I'm out in a snowbank and I break my belt, uh, you know, my drive belt, my auger belt, whatever it happens to be, all of a sudden, I <laughs> Ted says, what's a snowblower? It's kind of similar to a sand blower, but just a little different. But if I break down in a snowbank while customers are waiting for me, there is urgency. I know that I have to figure out a way to solve that problem just like that. I have to because I have to be back out blowing snow. I have to, you know, I have to get my job done. So I have to figure it out. I got to go back. I got to rush. But it gets it done, right? That's why the prevention is preparedness and preparedness is prevention is so important because there's no urgency to that, right? And when you're younger, you're like, yeah, I'm just going to go balls to the wall and not worry about routine maintenance. And I know some farmers that are still like that, but if you can start building in a mindset of prevention, so looking at things, we're going to talk about that a little further down the road, but honestly, just spending a little money up front, like getting your oil changed in your vehicle on a regular basis, something we didn't do for a lot of years. <laughs> so, you know, all of those preventative maintenance, it's not sexy. There's no urgency, but if you can do it, it's going to save you a lot of problems. Now, the problem with prevention, and this is where I get I get thinking about it, is you really, okay, so if, if I'm out again blowing snow and I break a belt and I fix a belt, I know that I absolutely have done something, right? I fixed a problem. Now, prevention, you don't necessarily know that. You know, okay, I changed a belt. Now, realistically, that belt was probably going to wear out in the next, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 days, you don't know. But it literally could have hung on for weeks afterwards. And that's the thing about preventative maintenance is you never know how much you are going to prevent down the road. And you're never going to know that. That's kind of the beauty of it, right? <laughs> it's just funny. So yeah, preventative maintenance, it's not sexy. It's not urgent. And a lot of times you don't even know what you're preventing. But that's the same with prepping, right? We prep to make our lives better, whether we need it or we don't. And you know what, if I put up a year's worth of dry goods of food in my, you know, pan prepper pantry, awesome. If I never need it, even better. Because you know what, even though I have it, needing to use it is going to suck. So I'm glad to have it. It gives me peace of mind because hopefully I'm doing preventative maintenance on our food budget and our food storage. But if I never need it, no problem. So first one, pre preparedness is prevention. I like that you know, me and my alliteration, right? Number two, eating an elephant. Now, I don't mean, you know, I'm sure elephants are absolutely uh, endangered species at this point. So do not go home and tell your wife I'm going elephant hunting or your husband I'm going elephant hunting because Tim said it's okay to eat an elephant because <laughs> it really isn't. But I want to tell you guys a quick little story. If you've ever heard of this guy, his name is Lotito. Well, was Lotito till he passed away in his late 50s. He's a man from France. He has the world record for eating an entire airplane. Pretty friggin' crazy, if you ask me. Now, this is a complete true story. Uh, Ripley's, believe it or not, have talked about it. Now, we're not talking about like, you know, um, a 300-seater long-distance jet or something like that, but it was a Cessna 150. Weighs about 1,100 pounds. It took him a few years to do it, and he would eat it two pounds at a time. <laughs> this guy was absolutely insane. He had I believe it was called like Pika syndrome, where he felt um, obligated to eat weird and odd things. 
So what he would do is he would break the, he would break different parts down. So whether it was the glass, <laughs> Ted says he loves elephants with mashed potatoes and gravy. I can see that. I, I'd probably rather eat an elephant than an airplane, but you know, so this guy would break it down. You know, he would take these things that you would never think you'd be able to eat. I never would anyway, but he would take big chunks of steel, break them down into tiny little pieces. And then he'd swallow them between a mixture of like, I believe it was mineral oil and water. I, I have no idea why he would do it. Did the same thing with glass, rubber, did not matter. He could consume anything. Entire bikes he ate too. But it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek funny way to say like, how in the hell are you going to eat an entire airplane? Well, he did it one or two pounds a day in tiny bite-sized pieces over many, many years. It's crazy. I I don't even know why he did it. Now, I was thinking back while I was telling this story about you know, how do you eat an elephant one step, well, one bite at a time, or how do you create, you know, how does somebody run a marathon one stride at a time, right? The hardest job I ever did, and I've told you guys this before, was the uh, lobster fishing that I did for a few weeks. Nothing serious, but, you know, there were days when we would work 21 hour days, so it was pretty crazy. So you'd get up at two o'clock in the morning and you'd head out fishing, and you knew you would be fishing from two o'clock in the morning until... 10 or 11 o'clock that night and there would come a point about four o'clock in the morning you've been doing it for about two hours you were exhausted and you knew i just cannot make it anymore i felt like i couldn't mentally i was beat so all i told myself was okay one lobster at a time if i get one lobster i'll put a band on i'll do the next you know one minute at a time five minutes at a time and i kept telling myself if i could just make it to sunrise everything would be better because if i thought if I was thinking at two o'clock in the morning that I needed to make it till 10 or sometimes 11 o'clock that night, I don't think I could do it. But if I just focused on whatever task it was in front of me and did that next little step, I always found that by the time that sunri the, the sun rised in the morning, you're like, oh, I feel better. And then you could go all day and you, you, you hit the zone. And that's what I love about one step at a time. You hit the zone and then all of a sudden, ah, you just keep going. And these great big, hey, Millis, how are you? Joseph's in here, my buddy. So you get these great big jobs and you're like, okay, how do I start? So say this is a job like you're doing your master, say you got to prime and paint and, and fix up your master bedroom. It's a big bedroom and you've never done something like this before and you're completely lost as to where to start. Or this could be something like rebuilding a pump or fixing a water line, whatever it happens to be. The main thing is that eating an entire elephant is overwhelming. And for someone who's never painted an entire room before, it could be overwhelming. So what do we do? We break it down into bite-sized pieces. Have a good day, Ted. So you, you look at a master bedroom, you say, okay, the first thing I need to do is I need to look and see, do I have any loose drywall or mud or anything? So scrape that off, then learn how to fill, then learn how to sand one step at a time. Then you learn how to properly tape off your room. Then you learn how to prime. Then you learn how to paint. The thing is, if you look at the entirety of the job and how large it is and how big it is, right now I'm getting ready to build a cover over my back deck. That's something I haven't done before. And for a few minutes, it felt kind of overwhelming. And then I'm like, okay, again, break it down into bite-sized pieces. Talk to people that know how to do it. Talk to other people that have eaten an entire elephant before and then move on from there. And that's what I'm doing with that. But it, and one more quick tip about eating an elephant or doing a big project, I find by breaking it down into the bite-sized pieces and then creating a checklist off that, that's a huge help. I don't know if it's the old man in me, but I love to make a checklist and then 
cross something off, right? So you do one, one chore or one step of the process and then move on. That seems to be my help. Uh, number three, use zero jobs. Now, I don't know how much I have mentioned this concept a lot before, but we're going to talk about it a little bit this morning. I've never come up with a better name for it yet, but basically what it is, is a zero job is something that I can do on a weekend, on an evening, whenever, say, the stores aren't necessarily open, and I'm able to complete it entirely based on tools and products I have on hand. And... You know, I told the story recently about fixing my daughter's gate. She lives in a rental and she could get the guy there to do it, but it would have taken a few days and blah, blah, blah. I didn't want to spend any money on it. So I used salvaged hardware, salvaged lumber I had, and I was able to make it work. People ask me all the time, hey, how do you decide what you keep out of these bank houses that you repossess? And how do you decide on what you throw out? Well, I've got one, there's one non-negotiable rule. And that is anytime I find any building supplies, that are even remotely able to be reused, I find a place to store them away. So this helps kind of supercharge these zero jobs. Now, I mean, you know, some people have access to all kinds of stuff and some people don't. But the big thing is these zero jobs. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Joseph. I appreciate that. Joseph sent me a coffee. Oh, yes. A coffee this morning. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, sir. I, I should mention that if nobody's seen that yet, there's this new thing called, oh, what is it? thanks or something like that so people are watching your videos and they can tip you like they do in uh live streams but anyway thank you buddy i really appreciate that and now i'll have a sip of coffee on joseph's uh, account thank you sir so having anything like that is like having money stored in the bank <laughs> if you'd have gone out and bought say a lift of plywood and a lift of two befores a year and a half ago and sat on them you could have literally tripled or quadrupled well tripled your money anyway for sure at one point but having this stuff on hand gives you a sense of self-reliance, independence. And of course, what do we talk about repairedness? You know, doing something, figuring out home maintenance, the art of home maintenance when help isn't around the corner, right? So one zero job I built this winter was my insulated battery box. So yes, super thanks. Thank you. Joseph said super chat is in the live and super thanks is when you have pre-recorded videos. I think that's going to be a big deal. It's kind of cool. So this zero job was my insulated battery box for my battery bank for my solar power system out in the garage. And you know what? I started scrounging around and I, I'd saved some two-inch high-density foam. I'd saved a couple of tubes of construction adhesive, a bunch of off-cuts of three-quarter-inch plywood, a couple of um, drawer pull, um, what, pull handles or whatever for a drawer. And I built the entire thing for free. I love zero jobs. Now, don't you know, don't get out of your way and end up spending way too much money or, or sorry, saving way too much material on your, uh, you know, in your property or whatever, but find a place to put anything that is going to be of value and that can save you some time so that you can focus on, you know, doing some of these zero jobs when the, you know, metaphorical shit hits the fan or you're stressed out or whatever. That way you've got that material and you don't have to rely on a system that is fragile at best and can break at times. You know, we don't want to be a, you know, guy out there saying, hey, everything's going to fall apart. But remember that, okay? Now, repairedness rule, I believe we're on number four at this point. Check the simplest solutions first. I've told this story before, but this one cracks me up. We went to, it was actually, I think, the second house I ever had to secure for a bank. I went there, tried the door, it was locked. I spent 20 or 30 minutes drilling out this heavy-duty deadbolt doorknob combination. Finally open it up 
And what do I do as I step inside my wife stepping inside from the other door? Because literally I spent a half an hour drilling out a lock and didn't check the other door that was totally unlocked. <laughs> so a lot of times when you are doing home maintenance, repairedness, all of this kind of stuff, try the simplest solution first. Uh, now, I learned from that lesson because I got a phone call two days ago from one of my favorite elderly customers. And she's like, hey, my tenant moved out. I think they left the heat on, blah, blah, blah. She said, they didn't give me the keys. I can't get in. Can you help me get into the house? And I said, sure. So I went and I tried the front door, locked. Tried the back door, locked. Walked around the house. What do I find? But a completely open window with no screen in it, about a two foot step off the deck. Two minutes later, I'm in the house. I could have stood there trying to pick the lock, drill the lock, pry the lock for 20 or 30 minutes if I hadn't have been uh, focused on checking the simplest solutions first. So try to think outside the box. You know, when you've got something that isn't working, this is going to sound silly, but make sure the damn item's plugged into the wall first. So make sure it has power. You know, does my gas, is there gas in the gas tank? I know, again, but the simplest. All these things literally take seconds and can save you hours of work. Did you trip a breaker? Is the power switch in the off position? Is the gas, inline gas shutoff in the off position? Check them out, right? Sherlock Holmes always loved, what was it, Occam's razor, I guess they called it, eliminate the impossible and what you're left with, no matter how simple, you know, could be the answer. Well, honestly, what I say is when you first start out, ignore the impossible, ignore the crazy, and go right to the simplest solution. Because the reason I say that is if it doesn't, if it isn't the simplest solution, how much time have you wasted? A minute, two minutes? But if it is, all of a sudden you might have saved yourself a an hour or a day's worth of swearing and cussing all because you forgot to check a lock or check to make sure something was plugged in, you know? So I'm sure people who have worked customer service, you know, support on, you know, 1-800 lines and things like that. Of course, what is the first thing they say? Did you try turning the computer off and back on again? And people always say, yeah, of course I did. And then when they actually do it, it fixes the problem. So check the simplest solution first. Next, skills are more important than supplies. So if you are looking at a home maintenance issue that's horrible, that you, you just don't know what to do, the last thing you should be doing is going on YouTube and watching a video on how to stop the water gushing into my basement. Because under stress, you are not going to be able to learn a new skill. It's going to drive you absolutely crazy. But if you learn the skills ahead of time, what I find is, no matter how stressful the situation is, your brain is going to help you find a solution because you already know how to fix it. You just need to find what you're going to use to fix it with. The thing is, skills are free. So you can spend as much time as you want building up a huge toolbox full of skills, how to fix plumbing, how to fix electrical, how to get on the roof, and... All of a sudden, you're like, now, the thing is, I know how to fix this. I might not have exactly what I need on hand, but I can come up with a way to fix it simply by knowing a lot of the skills ahead of time. And again, it goes back to that whole prevention is preparedness. If you learn the skills ahead of time, you're filling your toolbox, then you can come up with a way to solve it. But honestly, skills are so much more important than supplies because 
you know, if you have a gun and you don't know how to shoot it, what good is it, right? If you have, a, I mean, a drill and you don't know how to drill screws, it's pretty impossible. But if you learn all those skills ahead of time, then you can solve things underneath or, or under stress, which is great. Uh, Nate says, our oldest daughter, let's bring this up, said our oldest daughter learned the value of checking the fuel in her ATV for, before going for a ride in it. Absolutely. That is simple. You know, just, again, when you hop in your vehicle, a lot of times we have um, our mindset set on things like, I just want to get going. And there has been on occasion where I've had my mind on something else, hopped in the vehicle, started driving. I'm like, shit, I should have checked that fuel gauge beforehand. So it's a good lesson for her to learn when she's young. Next one, do not panic. And this is tough. And this is one I'm working on. This is one that I talk to a lot of people about because I think this is an area where preparedness and preparedness really overlap because there's whatever you want to call it, whether it's, um, you know, a spiritual centeredness or uh, mental toughness or grit or whatever it is, you need to be calm under pressure. And there is no easy way to learn that from what I have found from anyone talking to basically the ability to not panic under pressure. Some people are born with it, but more so it needs to be something you learn. And the only way to learn it is to be put under pressure and learn how not to panic. When you have a horrible home maintenance issue that you are working on, the best thing you can do is just feel the panic. If the panic comes in, just feel it. Let it go over your shoulders, down your stomach, and out through your feet, whatever the hell you have to do. Give it a second. Give it a minute. Take a breath. Relax. Deep breath. Whatever it is. Because I've been through all these things. And look at it like, okay, whatever this disaster is that I'm working on, whether it's a flooded basement or, you know, something as simple as an outlet in the kitchen not working, take a breath, let it pass, and then focus on what you can do. <laughs> what you can control. So what do I know? Okay, I know how to turn off my water main. So let's start with that. Then you've eliminated the worst of the worst. How can I stop this from happening? Okay, do you have water coming in from the basement? Maybe. Okay, maybe you need to go outside and dig a small trench. I've done that before to divert the water away from the house. Something simple, but focus on the solutions. You know, who can I call? Can I call somebody for advice? Or can I get an expert in here if it's not something I can do? But honestly, nine times out of 10, that panic's going to hit you. And you're going to be like, okay, embrace it. Tell yourself, what's the worst that I can, what's the worst this panic can do? Let it pass and then start working on solutions because there's two things. Number one, panic does no good for anybody. And if you're panicking about something you can't control, let the panic go. Do not panic. And I know that is so simple to say, and it's something I'm totally, totally working on myself, guys. And that's why I put these shows and episodes together, because I want to share what I know. I want to share what I'm working on. And I want to share um, what I'm trying to get just a little bit better at. Here's the next one. Now, for you Americans out there, this one might, you may or may not. And if you know who am I speaking of right now, you can always mention it in the comments. But channel your inner red green. And if you guys don't know who Red Green is, he is a Canadian treasure. You've probably seen clips of him online before. But what do I mean by channel your inner Red Green? Use what you have on hand. One of his favorite sayings was, the handyman's secret weapon is duct tape. Another one was, if women don't find you hand, 
if women don't find you handsome, at least they can find you handy. So this is where you need to think outside the box. Come up with a solution. You know, of course, build the skills, have some stuff on hand. But when it comes down to it, you need to think like the old time farmers as well. Farmers knew, you know, they lived out in the country. They might make a trip to town once a week. And if they needed to build a gate, they needed to build a fence, they needed to build a chicken coop, they had to survive with what they had on hand. If they needed nails, they hauled an old board down, they knocked them rusty nails out, they straightened them up, and then they used them for whatever the job was. One of my favorite things Dad always talked about was cutting up old tires and using squares of rubber with four roofing nails to one to a fence post, one to a gate, and using that as a poor man's hinge. Or another one, they would cut long, skinny, uh, trees down, pull all the limbs off them, and they would use that as a gate. And it was just a sliding gate. There was no hardware involved. They just put a couple cross pieces. They put two fence posts together, a couple of cross pieces, and then you could slide these long um, poles in and out. Cost them nothing. They'd run in the woods, cut a tree down, and they were done. So one day, a few years ago, before I was stocking just about anything on hand for supplies, my plumbing sprung a huge leak. And of course, around here, stores aren't open on Sunday. Couldn't get anything I needed. So I'm like, well, and of course it was in the main line before it fed off to anywhere else in the house and we needed water. So I had to fix it. So I went outside and I found an old bike that I had, took the tire off, hauled the inner tube out and cut some, you know, nice, I don't know, six inch wide and as long as I could get it. And I wrapped it around the copper pipe as many times as I could. And you know what I did have an abundance of? Hose clamps. I had I have four or six of them, I can't remember, put them all on this three-quarter inch copper pipe, tightened them all down as well as I could. And when I was done, I had a leak that was 98% better and I could limp through until Monday when I could get supplies to fix it. So again, red-green, you know, duct tape is the handyman secret weapon. Just think outside the box. There's always a way to solve a problem because if there wasn't, humanity wouldn't be here. We've always been problem solvers. We just need to think outside the box sometimes and absolutely use what we have on hand. So the next one, this is one that's kind of developed out of chatting with my dad a bunch over the years, and it is buy once, cry once. Now, dad, uh, and you know, he's still around, so I'm not talking about him like he isn't. It's just he lives all the way across the country, but he would always say that it pays to buy quality. And then I heard the saying one time, buy once, cry once, and it really stuck with me. I thought, okay, this is something I can live with. <laughs> now, of course, when we were younger and didn't have a lot of money, that meant something slightly different than it does now. But it still meant to buy something better than the absolute bottom of the barrel kind of stuff. Now, I always joke with my dad, every time I would call him or he would call me, the first thing he would tell me is, oh, Tim, this steel weed whipper that I bought, it's just lasted forever. It works so good. I just love it. And I would joke, and but he would always say, you know, it was worth the little bit extra that I spent on it as opposed to buying one of those cheap Walmart M MTD kind of jobbies. And he would always say, you know, Tim, it pays to buy quality. And I always heard that for so long. And I remember like he bought that in my first year of university and that thing lasted almost 20 years. I think he has a I'm not even sure what brand he has at this point. Maybe it's a Toro. I can't remember. But he had the still for a lot of years. And he would always tell me, you know, I'm glad I spent just a little bit extra money on that because I bet you 
I would have had to gone through four or five of those $99 Walmart or, you know, I'd say Kmart specials, but Kmart's long gone, or well, at least up here it is. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean buying the most expensive thing out there, because a lot of times tools or, you know, um, electrical, gas-powered equipment, a lot of those are, you know, the high-end just come with extra features. But what you're looking for is that sweet spot between cost and quality and, you know, longevity, right? So really what it is, is don't you don't have to buy the most expensive, but you definitely don't want to buy the least expensive. You go and look at one of those. Right now, I think a couple years ago is the last time I checked. You go into Walmart, and they have some absolute generic brand push gas mower. And they always want that low-end price point, the cheapest one you can find, right? So last time I checked, they used to be $99 years ago. Well, that's long gone. I think they're like $129 or $149 last I checked. And they feel like they're made out of cardboard. And they're only good for somebody that might have, you know, 200 square foot lot or something because they're like 16 inches wide and you have to make 27 passes just to get your lawn done in one little section. So, and they are made with the absolute cheapest materials and supplies on hand. And they're going to they're going to break down as quick as you get to them. But what you want to look at is, you know, go up a couple notches in there and look and see, okay, is it made just a little bit better? What did they, you know, what did they put in this to make it a little better? So, like I said, it doesn't mean buying the best, but what it does mean is buying a su sufficient amount of quality so that whatever the tool, whatever the item is, is going to last you longer than the average thing, right? So, if you spend 50% more, on a tool and it lasts you four times as long, how much money in are you, right? Or you buy something for life, you know, buy yourself a good quality hammer. That's going to last you forever. You keep buying those $8.99 wood handled hammers and you keep breaking them like because they weren't Tim proof. You're going to know, all right, I should have listened to Tim's dad. It pays to buy quality. <laughs> but you know what? I didn't listen to him for a long time either. And part of that was, you know, just didn't have a lot of money. But even still, even if you don't have a lot of money and you can hold out for just a little while longer, just, you know, save 10 or 20% more by significantly better quality. And you're going to end up saving a lot more money and putting a lot more money in your pocket as you go along. Now, uh, an example of this, where I didn't follow my own advice, is my zero-turn mower. I bought a beautiful zero-turn mower right at the beginning of all the craziness in April 2020. I needed one in the worst way. Now, the guy locally had them and he would, so he would only bring in the more expensive ones. Totally understand. They were a welded deck. They were built to last. I just didn't have it in my budget. So what did I do? I went to Home Depot and I bought the least expensive Toro zero turn mower I could get knowing I would be happy to get a year or two out of it. Well, Two summers in, and the thing, if it lasts this summer, that will be it. I'm going to upgrade to a much better one, and I'm going to take my own advice. But I'm telling you, because <laughs> sometimes I just need to share where my failures come in as well. I mean, the deck is falling apart. The engine is already starting to leak oil. Now, the thing is, I ride those things hard and put them away wet. I try to keep them, you know, I try to keep up on them. But the fact remains that I do a lot of mowing, and I take on mowing jobs that some people wouldn't with a lot more rocks, a lot more hills, a lot more bumps. You try to be as careful as you can, but when it comes down to it, I beat gear up. 
And so if you've seen my zero turn mower now, I mean, it still runs well, but it's just, it's getting to it, you know, it's getting to its last legs. Let's put it that way. It's just, yeah, I wish that it would last longer, but I knew what I was buying when I bought it. And I thought, okay, it'll get me through for a couple of years. And, you know, I'm paying for it now. If I'd have bought one of those uh, welded decks, I'd probably still have three or four more years into it. And I would have made money off the entire process. But we live and we learn. But it most certainly, <laughs> you can learn that lesson uh, in the positive And you can also learn it in the negative. You can learn by buying something quality and it lasting a long time. And you can also learn by buying a piece of shit and it falls apart on you sooner than you would expect. It is what it is, right, guys? So, repairedness rule or rule of repairedness number 10. And this is one you guys have heard me, uh, you know, what do they say? If you beat a dead horse, you only get a bigger mess. Well, sometimes you need to make a mess to fix a mess. And here we are. Master the art of troubleshooting. And this is something that is not, it's not simple. It's not easy, but you just do it and you start learning. Now, when I first started, so years ago, I always talk about the winter on the prairies. Um, my wife and I, we moved, like I said, to Saskatchewan for a bit. Took a job that I absolutely hated. Got there, and I didn't last a month at that hardware store where I was working. The guy, whatever, doesn't matter. So I quit, and I got a job fixing computers. And I'd never fixed computers before, but I knew how to sell. So I did well there. Plus, I interviewed really well, and they hired me because I knew a bit about computers. Now, something I realized really quick fixing computers was troubleshooting was really just trying a whole bunch of random shit until you figured out what was wrong. The better you get at it, the more narrowed your focus can be on what you think it is. But really, when it came down to troubleshooting computers, hey, Rachel Brown, nice to have you. It really was just trying a bunch of shit. And so when, when I say mastering the art of troubleshooting, what I really mean is building up enough confidence to be able to just try a bunch of things and see what works. Now, as you do it, you can become more efficient because when you're fixing a computer and somebody brings it in, the first thing you need to know is where to look. So maybe open it up and check the power supply. Is the power supply working? You know, so over time, the more things you fix, the more skills you build, the more tools you buy that you know how to use properly, the more efficient you're going to become at troubleshooting. But when, when it really comes down to it, Troubleshooting is nothing more than trying a bunch of things until you figure out what works. Now, I don't want to say like waste all your time troubleshooting and just trying things that don't work. Of course, obviously start with the simplest solutions. Try those. Then maybe do a quick read on the internet. Why isn't my computer booting? And they may give you five or six things to try. Work your way through those until you come to whatever that solution might be. And again, building skills helps that buying tools, so having the proper software to run, diagnostic software, any of those type of things. But it really did, I had to say, when I was doing computer troubleshooting, it almost felt weird that people were willing to pay me to do this because I was just trying a whole bunch of things. Um, oh yeah, Carrie, I'm gonna bring this up here in just a second. But yeah, so troubleshooting really is trying things until you figure out what's wrong. And the quicker and more efficient you get at it, um, the, the less stress you're going to have in your life. And again, the art of home maintenance when help isn't around the corner. So that means you need to do your own repairs. You need to do your own troubleshooting. You need to build your own skill toolbox. You need to supply yourself with whatever you can. But when it comes down to it, probably the single most important skill for the art of repairedness is mastering troubleshooting. Because if you can troubleshoot properly, 
you can take that skill set and apply it to any other system out there, whether it's automotive, whether it's uh, you know technology, whether it's computers, whether it's a solar system, doesn't matter. Once you figured out troubleshooting, the rest is history. It's the same as when you build a business, that first business, you learn all the mistakes you shouldn't make, and the next one gets just a little bit easier. So Carrie Brown says, a fellow landscaper highly recommended Red Max brand lawn equipment. Looks like they're comp competing with Still. Now, I have not heard about them at all. I am going to have to dig into that and see. I don't even know if I've seen them in Canada yet. But I got to tell you, I have had my eye on the Ego brand battery-powered equipment from Lowe's. I would love to try it. I would love it if they would send me some. But <laughs> really what it comes down to is they have what looks like the most powerful backpack blower that runs on battery. And I would love to switch to battery backpack blowers for the winter, but I'm not sure I'm ready to spend the upfront investment to try it out, but they have a lot of really good gear. I mean, I'm obviously settled on my DeWalt. I've been using it again this year. I love my DeWalt gear and it works well, but I wouldn't mind getting my hands on some of the Ego stuff or anything really to test out. So what is everyone else, uh, what, what are your projects you're working on now? You know, what 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 have you fixed at home? You know, what of these rules of preparedness are you most, I guess, comfortable with or least comfortable with? For me, I think my least comfortable one is do not panic. You know, I'm, I'm cool. You know, I can get up and talk to a great big crowd of people, no problem at all. And I might come across as cool as a cucumber sometimes, but when it comes down to it, that would definitely probably, no, I'm going to say definitely, probably. No, no, Tim, don't undercut it. That would definitely be the area that I need to work on the most is not panicking. And so I'm looking for some outlets to, to, to kind of develop that. I talked to some guys in the workshop group the other day in the Telegram group, and some people mentioned possibly uh, martial arts. So that might be interesting because obviously, you know, inserting yourself into some kind of military operation is, isn't even an issue or an option. So it would be great to, to learn how to develop that. So, you know, whatever you guys are up to, whatever you're thinking, uh, yeah, just develop it and work on it. Right. And, uh, in the words of the immortal red green, who's still alive, remember I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together, right? Because we are, uh, Nate says, Oh, I love hearing about this project guys. Um, now that I have a few hours tonight, I'll see if I can get the roof on the shed patch tonight before it rains tomorrow. That's important because, you know, rain on the inside of buildings, it's never a good thing, right? And uh, it, you know, it looks like it might be a bit of a job, but, you know, I want to see pictures, Nate, when you're done, because I know you're going to kick the shit out of this job and, and knock it out and be done with it. So guys, a little shorter episode this morning, but this was great. Um, we may we had a, we had a great crowd in here for friggin' seven o'clock in the morning on a sa uh, yeah, Saturday, geez, uh, Thursday. So uh, yeah, I might try this craziness more often. Just kind of depends on how the schedule is. In the summer when I'm outdoors working a lot with my business, you guys will never have to worry about getting content from me. It'll always come. I just might have to, you know, be a little more uh, prevention oriented or, you know, preparedness oriented and, and get them a little earlier in the day. But I love being live with you. So even if there's nobody in here, there's just something about being live. So where can you find me the rest of this week, guys? Well, let's see. What do we got on the go? I guess really the only one. Actually, we have another interview on Sunday night. Uh, Dan Matinee, I hope I pronounced that right. He's a guy that's been a member of the workshop community for a very long time, like a huge time. It's been great. 
And he has all along, he's one, one of the first guys that said, hey, Tim, what you're teaching about small business and handyman and side hustles, he said, it really resonated with me. And I started doing a whole bunch of cool stuff. So he's going to come on and share his story on Sunday night, which is awesome. But before that, of course, we have tomorrow, 12 noon, Mountain Time, Chris Weatherman, the Angry American, the author of the Going Home book series. I am so excited to, I, I don't know, I, I said, I joked about it, you know, I'm not going to fangirl out or anything like that. It's going to be a great interview, but I am just absolutely excited about having the opportunity to pick his brain and see what he has. I think it'll be absolutely huge. I think it's going to be great for the workshop. I think it's going to I just, I, there's so much it's going to, I, I don't want to build it up too much, but it's going to be a great interview. So share it on social guys. If you don't mind, get the word out there. I pinned the comment today. The, the comment uh, in YouTube, if you're watching this live or on the replay is just a link to tomorrow's live stream. So please get it out there, share the word. I sent it out to a few other content creators just to ask them to share as well, because I think this is going to be big. And, you know, I'm always trying to find, um, different guests that resonate with you guys and hopefully um you know it's kind of reciprocating we, we get out there and we bring in really good guests and it also expands the reach of the workshop through a whole bunch of other audiences that maybe we haven't been exposed to yet right guys and that that's what it's all about now this is the thursday episode and this will be playing on prepper broadcast network as well so if you guys haven't dropped by there and checked them out yet feel free. There are there are 15 different creators over there creating a whole bunch of different content. And I can guarantee you, you'll find yourself somebody to resonate with. And if you like it enough, stick around and join the PBN membership because the guys over there, James, the, we, we, we joke, we call him the intrepid commander. And he is just an awesome dude building an incredible presence over there. So drop by and support him. And who follows me up on Thursdays is uh, Carl A.D. Brown. He runs The Strange Truth, where he talks about the news stories nobody wants to discuss and, you know, with a, a Christianity bent and just a real neat show. So if you're interested, check that out. And again, tomorrow, noon, Mountain Time, Chris Weatherman, Angry American, the Going Home book series. It is going to be an awesome interview. So thank you, guys. And as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.